brand new edition of the Hold That Podcast podcast. T-Bob Bear and Brody Miller back with another exciting episode of the HTPP podcast. It's too many P's. Uh, what is going on? I hope everybody's having a great week. It is Bama week, which means this will be the pot of the year. Pot of the so, year. So uh, if you listen to one, that's the Pody uh, for you all out there that like acronyms. If you listen to one, listen to this one and spread it around to all of your friends. Uh, we're going to examine this Alabama game from every angle. We will leave no stone unturned in our search for the odds and angles that will decide whether or not Alabama and LSU, whether or not LSU will beat Alabama for the first time in eight years. We will talk about it in depth. Like I said, all the matchups that matter most, the players that'll matter most, the stats, the numbers, Brody's the analytics guy. And in the end, I'll probably just say it's a coin flip game. So look <laughs> forward to the pot of the year here on the Hold That Podcast podcast. Brody Miller, what's up, man? Man, I'm thriving right now. Pot of the year. Pot of the year. Coming off a of bye week. Yeah. Probably enjoyed my bye week a little too much. Yeah. But I'm rested, kind yeah. of. Yeah, and- you have a girlfriend. If I have to hear you say you have a girlfriend again, I'm going to, yeah, yeah, for sure. This you is are- new. You are okay, so you are kind of a perpetually single guy. Is this more of a? Uh, this is my first like relationship that went longer than like three weeks in like several years. Oh wow! Okay, so that makes a little more sense now. That yeah. makes a little more sense why maybe uh, you're constantly trying to convince people that you have a girlfriend because uh, you're not. Hey man, I'm just excited. Sure. No, look, my life I, is more look, fun. No, no, it's I not. Get it. It's like, hey, my life's more fun now. Like, hey, had a great day at Bakken all Saturday. It was lovely. I with am my girlfriend. No one to criticize. Anyone about relationships because I've been with my wife since I've been 16 years old. So I've literally only that. ever had one girlfriend. Yeah. We met when we were 16 and we're like friends and then started dating. And now we have a second daughter on the way in April. Hey, congrats. Um, thanks, bro. I'm excited. Wait, by the way, um, I, if my daughters played in this game, they would fuck up Nick Saban. Um, quick, since you're a big analogy guy, yeah. um, you one could say that me having a girlfriend is like LSU having an offense. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And we're rolling pot of the year. Pot of Off the year. A great start. God, I hope she never listens to this. Um, Yeah, you did just compare her to Joe Brady, which, hey, he's pretty good looking. Actually, have you seen Joe Brady's sister, J.C. Brady? Dude. What? No comment. I have two hot sisters and a hot mom. I've heard it my entire life. Like I do have a hot sister. I, don't, yeah, I have no problem with it. It happens. Like, yeah. you know what? I'd rather Were you my, older or younger? Younger. I Same. Would, when you're younger, there's not even much you can do about no, it. You're just like, no. uh, yeah, I guess you're right, guys. Whatever. Like yeah. you just get used to it. When they're younger than you, I imagine there's a little more like maybe you're a little more protective. Yeah. Either way, though, I know I've always said this. I'd rather my females in my family be hot than not, just because you know their life's probably easier and better for it. That's a good point. I like that. Um, will they be as strong though? But JC, good looking girl. Uh, she used to be a Dolphins cheerleader. It's kind of snuck under the radar. I don't know how it got out, got out there more. Anyway, hold that podcast, podcast, pot of the year. Brody Miller, sign up for The Athletic. He's one of those sign-up deals. It's like three bucks a month. Posting a story as we speak on Twitter. I love um, when people use like the Starbucks analogy. Like, you know, if you just cut out Starbucks every day, you could save this. Well, look, guess what? And a subscription to The Athletic is literally less than the Grande Nitro Cold Brew that I drink almost every single day of my life. And this is once a month. Uh, and this is once a month. Sign up for The Athletic, and look, it's almost Thanksgiving. It's almost meat time. Damn it, listen to me, okay? Go to A-Bear's Specialty Meats off of Jefferson. It's also one in Prairieville. Those are the two that your boys connected with. Buy your turduckins. Buy your stuffed chickens. Buy all your delicious game day meats. 
and everybody would be happy. Now, speaking of happy, LSU fans would be ecstatic if LSU can pull this off on Saturday. Um, there's so many different areas we can start. I want to get into matchups. Um, but but before, let's take more of a bird's eye view of this game. Sports talkie here. Brody, do you feel that LSU has more to lose or more to gain on Saturday? And I actually feel like this is pretty obvious. So don't screw I, up. I think it's pretty clear it has more to gain. Yes. If they lose, it's just another year they lost Alabama. Like, nobody expects it. Nobody will expect it until it happens. That's the old line right now, right? Yeah. If they lose, it's just whatever. Alabama's still Alabama. LSU's still a little bit behind, but they're still going to have three top ten wins. They're still, you know, like there's really, and there's the whole, Ross Ross Dellinger made an argument on your show that the lose, it might actually be better for LSU to lose in some weird, strange way. Fun fact. um, So, uh, in these 1v2 matchups in the regular season, The number one team is like 16-5 and something, some amount of ties or whatever is weird. They're like 16-5 and five in the games. However, listen However. to this. Listen to this. Three of the past losers of a regular season 1v2 matchup have gone on to win the Natty. In 93, FSU lost to Notre Dame. FSU ended up being crowned champions. In 96, Florida lost to FSU. Florida, oh, I'm just from the top of the head, Brody. Florida ended up being crowned champions, and then obviously in 2011, we know what happened. So, yeah. so a bit of a like, no-pressure situation. You win, great, you lose, whatever. Uh, but, but real talk, if LSU loses, it's on the road. You have the top 10 wins. If two other conferences get eliminated from playoff contention, I'm looking at the Pac-12 and the Big 12, and it's maybe the most realistic there. If two other conferences get eliminated, then LSU will have a very good opportunity of getting back in. So I agree with you. There's not a ton that they would lose by losing this game. But my God! And if you would, yeah, it's just the the fruits at the end of the road, the 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 rewards for winning this game would be massive. I mean, it would be exponential. I mean, it'd probably be the LSU biggest fan. win in terms of impact and severity since probably like some of those early major Saban wins that like indicated that. Because yes, the 2011 win is game of the century and all of that, but LSU was there. You know yes, what I mean? Yes. They were already at that level. I think this would. This would be the biggest win since some of those Saban wins, and none are really jumping to my mind specifically. That was Rome versus Carthage <laughs> yeah. back in 2011. Like Those were the two Mediterranean superpowers. Everybody knew about them. Unfortunately, post-2011, like Carthage, you kind of got wiped off the face of the earth by Rome, and Rome's just been ruling ever since. Well, this is like the Gallic barbarians are beating down at the gate. Let's see if Joe Burrow and company can raise the city to the ground and pillage and steal all the women and children in gold. Uh, you would be, I mean, it is absurd to me. And I don't have to maintain any semblance of a journalistic integrity because I don't ever call myself a journalist. Uh, but I do like to remain objective. Um, but but whatever, I'd be lying if I'd say I didn't have a rooting interest for LSU, even if I can analyze a game objectively. It is absurd to me, and I've thought about this a lot this week, it is crazy, it makes no sense in terms of what should matter on this earth how much a win, how good a win would make me feel Saturday. And just for me personally, to expound on that a little bit, I mean, losing that game in 2011 and not getting to play in that game in 2011 after starting for three years, still have no idea why. Um, that is one of, hands down, the worst memories of my entire life. Imagine, so you work your entire life for a national championship. Whatever, I was on a team that won one in 07. I don't care. You want to be a part, like a real part of one, right? Two-time Scout Team Player of the Week, to be clear. But still, you want to be a real part of one. More real part. Two-time Scout Team Player of the Week, though. 
2011, though, you know, to be a starter on that team, to go undefeated, to do all these things, and then to sit there on the cusp of a national championship. From the time you start playing football as a kid, that is what you play for. So to start that at like nine years old and then spend your entire life working towards that singular goal, all of college, wholly dedicated to that singular goal, and then to fail so spectacularly and then watch the people that created that failure go on to just continue to rise and be celebrated, it is unbelievably frustrating. And it has created a hate in my heart that will never go away. I've always said it like this. It's like you spend your entire life climbing to this mountaintop, and right when you're about to summit, this guy kicks you in the chest and you fall backwards. Or maybe he like, well, that's that's one. You kick your chest, you fall down the hill, and guess what? Then he goes on to be celebrated for that action. Or like he kills your dog, and then everybody loves him for killing your dog. That's what this feels like. And 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 what where I have struggled to evaluate this game because a lot of people ask me how you feeling, how you feeling. Well. Until Monday, or until Tuesday, when I really talk these things out, uh, I, I really, I kept saying, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this game. Because the juxtaposition of last year and this year are really odd. In that last year, when you lost 29-0 at home, getting dominated in the trenches, that felt like you were miles away, right? That is a low point. That is a valley. That is, except that you're just going to pay taxes to Julius Caesar and shut up. So for that to then immediately be followed up by a year in which you look like you have a better chance than you have in a decade, like a legitimate chance, all the pieces there, that's an odd marriage of experiences. And I think for last week, the bye week, that really discolored. It made me unable to form a great opinion on this game. Um, In order to beat that, I've decided to approach this almost purely math-wise, in that every opportunity exists in and of itself, right? What happened in last year's game doesn't matter about this year's game. Two years ago doesn't matter about this year's game. So I'm saying forget the past. I'm wiping the slate, and I'm just trying to look at this game objectively, Brody. And that's where where I kind of land on this incredible, detailed, analytic take that this game is a coin flip. God damn it. <laughs> like you had a whole good rant going. Come on. I don't think it's a coin flip. Because if you said you're going analytic and all this stuff, by definition, by like every outlet, Alabama's like a 66% chance. Oh, 66. I thought it was more like 58, 59. I, thought, I, didn't, I didn't know it was breaking SP Plus that is 66%. End. I think I've seen a few others that's in that same range. Uh, seven point fi- most have Alabama's seven-point favorite, which, by the way. So that's kind of interesting. How do they arrive at that number, given the two resumes that the two have been have put on paper? Um, basically, according to SP Plus, Ohio State and Al- you know, Ohio State and Alabama are, by a decent margin, the, been playing the best football you know, in the country this season. I, and obviously, like, you, you, you're just for opponent. And it factors that in. It factors in that they played this well against a weaker opponent versus LSU against yeah. a better opponent. It, it all that all goes into it, and Ohio State, and Alabama have just by all of these margins been playing borderline dominant football. I mean, let's look at uh, you know Alabama's the number two offense in the country according to this, and and if you don't believe in these analytics, that's fine. That's a different discussion we can have. But overall, in the history of time, they've been pretty darn reliable. Yeah, and it's number two offense and the number eight defense. L- LSU, for example, is the number three offense, the number eighteen difference. So it just you know while like. I might argue that LSU's offense might be better. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it kind of I change week to week how I feel. Alabama might be a little more complete. And then yeah. you add in that factor of 
it's Alabama. And it's, I know it's so, exhausting, so, see, but it's true. It's, 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 see, but that's what's interesting, right? Analytics shouldn't factor in that, right? Like, like No, that doesn't. No, yeah, it doesn't. Like the S&P is just pure numbers. Yes. Which is surprising <laughs> still to me that even after opponent adjustment, it would be that lopsided. Because LSU's beat the shit out of bad teams. And they've really, I mean, look, they've covered every game except for the Auburn game. So, like, that is a team that has performed exceptionally well. I guess that just reinforces how good Alabama has played against a poor schedule. I, I don't know, man. That just feels – normally I'm right in line with what S&P is projecting. That feels surprisingly lopsided given, from a pure number standpoint, what the two groups have done on the field and who they've played. But that's um, kind of the beauty of it is it's not resume-based. It's not – it is just purely – it's not like, oh, you beat a top-10 team, good for you. That's why you go to the AP poll. That's why you go to the – No, I mean I mean, just that it is opponent-adjusted. So there's yes. a resume element in there because yeah. if you played – if you beat a better opponent, you know you're getting you're, – those numbers are going to get a little boon if they're a little worse because there's somebody good. And I think it just comes down to no matter the opponent, Alabama has just played that good football. You know, like yep. – and sometimes it's frustrating. And, and, yeah, I think when you see a team like Alabama that has eight wins or dominated but they haven't played – anybody of substance yeah you you should and i think you're right to to i think you are right to question it i think that is a situation where you maybe take a step back and say maybe i'm not gonna take this too literal yeah but i think that argument if you're gonna play that game goes both ways i think it can go as yes it could mean that alabama's not quite as good as they look because they haven't really played anybody and these numbers might not be as efficient against a better team but, man, it can very well also mean that they haven't had a single game they've had to get up for, yeah. and they might be even better than these numbers suggest, that's especially true. defensively. And that, and that's interesting because that's what's going to be tested this weekend is, um, you know, because you, you could argue that an advantage for LSU is that they have been battle-tested. They've been in a couple dogfights, and they have come out the better for it. Alabama has not. But, like, will they be tested this week? Like, you have to test them in order for that to even be a relevant Talking point, and we'll wait and see. And look, there are numbers like like one of the big points separation. I think Alabama's like plus thirteen in turnovers or something. LSU's plus four. That's a yep. pretty sizable gap. Um, so the analytics on Alabama's side. Uh, what direction did I want to go with this next? <laughs> I'm trying. Try, there's just so much to choose from. There's a lot we can go with it. Um, this morning I kind of framed like, okay, what do you think the toughest matchups? For LSU will be. Okay, well, let's talk about this. You mentioned yeah. the Alabama defense. Um, so, I feel like the surface-level take on the Alabama defense this year is they're not that good. But They're good. They, well, the problem with that is uh, twofold. First off, everything with this Alabama team is judged against the backdrop of its past. Yes. And so, when you have these unreal defenses in the past, well, anything is going to dim in comparison, even if it's great. If it's great, if it's elite, but it's not unreal, it's still going to feel worse than it actually is. And I would apply that to this Alabama team as a whole. Uh, people are saying this is a down year for Alabama, and I understand how you could arrive at that conclusion. I mean, you got four true freshmen in that starting 11 on defense. However, we talked to Jim Nagy yesterday, who is the executive director of the Senior Bowl, and he said that 10 of the top 50 picks in this year's NFL drafts could be off this Alabama team. So make no mistake. Like, this is an uber-talented team, even with some youth at some spots. Okay, so yeah, this pass defense is really good. And yeah. first off, that's what matters against LSU, if we're being really honest. Like, that's what LSU will pass to set up the run. Like, they are going to be worried about that. Is number four pass defense in the country. They're good at stopping big plays. They're good at, 
You know, they're they're pretty good at stopping efficiency. Well, they're really good at stopping efficiency. They don't have the defensive line they used to have. No. And that is the key, I think, when people have this conversation, is they're looking at personnel instead of production. And they're looking at and it's true. I want to be very clear. It's really true. Besides Raquan Davis, it's like all freshmen and sophomores it's, on the defensive it's, line. It's, it's Justin. Uh, do you know how to say a a a boy a name? I don't. Okay. Well, we should look that up. We should have looked that up for the pot. No, it's a, that's okay. It's okay. No, but yeah, it's all freshmen and sophomores. True freshman defensive end Justin Aguabalaya is one of the starters. DJ Dale at nose. But yeah, you go deeper into the depth chart. Literally every single person in the front seven, except for one third string cat whose name I can't remember. Literally every single one of them are freshmen or sophomores in the front seven. Except for Ron Davis, yeah. Yes. And that's so that part is true. And this has been a very flawed rushing defense. I mean, they're twentieth in the country in rushing defense, which, like you said, it's it's judged by pass. That's crazy for Alabama. You know that is kind of bizarre. But I think here's the craziest stat, and I have a story that literally ran about fifteen minutes ago, breaking down the line of scrimmage between these two teams. But the stat that jumps out the most is Alabama is ninety fifth in the country in stuff rate. Which is that's not that's not a stat that necessarily like means good or bad, but it gives you a pretty strong indication of how they play. Alabama is not blowing up teams in the line of scrimmage yeah. at all. Ninety fifth, that is crazy for Alabama. They just don't have that. They have two guys you really trust in that front four. That's Terrell Lewis, the outside linebacker, who's yeah. good. And there's a reason they're thirty fifth in sack rates. So all the things we're saying about thirty fifth isn't bad. But besides Raquan Davis and Terrell Lewis, you don't not have any guys you trust there. Then you add the fact you have two true freshmen in the inside linebacker spots. Just when you look at that front six, because you know most teams play nickel these days, it's a real, it's a front six. Mm. I mean, it's 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 flawed, and you can run on them, but they are so good in pass defense. They have a solid pass rush. Their secondary is fantastic. You could make an argument it's it's better than LSU's. It would be a fun argument to have. I don't know, but I I I just think it's a misperception of people looking at like they're because there are flaws it means they're bad and it just like you said it doesn't mean they're bad it means they're not as good as past years yeah it's, it's, they're it's, so really it's good. the classic alabama conundrum right a chink in the armor appears much larger in conversation when the rest of the armor has been so like burnished so perfectly for so long but like you can really focus in on that little that little you know uh that, that little like chink that little that little chip out of the armor, and you're ignoring, like, the golden scroll work everywhere else and how good it is. Um, now, as far as this, you mentioned Terrell Lewis. Might as well read off his stats. He's a redshirt junior. Um, he's number 24, so just if you're watching the game, you know, that's a bit odd. Um, but but he leads the SEC. He's tied for lead with six sacks. Averages about a sack a game. He's got nine tackles for loss. Uh, but, but as you said, it's not really the most gaudy numbers from this. So you think, look, I, I know that. The like LSU has two elite corners. Alabama has two elite corners as yeah. well. Um, when you look at Trevon Diggs and Patrick Sertain, those guys are uh, both great in the top five nationally according to PFF College. Again, yeah. I haven't played anybody offensively necessarily. Uh, but but so so, how do you feel about that pass defense as a whole though? Because that's all I really like. Like pass rush safeties combined with those corners. Um, how does that stack up against the defenses that LSU's faced thus far? I mean, it's the. Hmm, I'd say it's probably the best overall pass defense they've played this year. You know, Florida's the had, numbers would bear that out. Yeah, Florida's had some has some really good things going on with its pass defense, but from an overall productivity standpoint, actually not that good. And a few weeks later, from when we thought it might have been the best, Alabama's is the best from productivity. You obviously you have the trust factor of knowing a lot of these guys have been in these situations, but it's all relative because I just don't know if how do you stop this LSU pass offense. 
Dolphins. I just don't, and it, by the way, I'm, we're going to get to the other side of the ball. I don't think LSU can stop Alabama's either, but which is why I kind of think this will be a shootout. But I just don't. Uh, it's a matter of you know, it's all relative. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm getting agree lost. or disagree. The team Thank you. that can hold the opponent's offense to under 30 points will win this game. Yes, I agree. Too. If you hold. I think it's a win. Forget about winning the game. It's a win for either defense if the opponent does not score 30, which is crazy going into an LSU-Alabama game that, like, 27 points would be considered a win. But with how these offenses are playing, I don't think that's off off base at all. But, yeah, and to get back to the question, because I did completely lose my train of thought, and you're a team player and save me there. I know how it goes. (laughs) But – yeah, okay, so it's it's a solid pass rush, but it's not a great one for Alabama, right? Yeah. It's not like a, oh, my God, Florida-Auburn-type pass rush. Yes, this is an amazing secondary, and you know I can make an argument it's the best in the country right now. But Burrow, when he has time, is just kind of off the charts productive this season. Yeah. it's I mean, He's been productive both ways, but if he has time, he can do whatever he wants. Now Terrace Marshall's got two more weeks of rest, so you really have that whole receiving core healthy. I just don't know if the secondary can really – contain Joe Burrow but this is the test we, we we keep saying this a test right Alabama was the one that could stop the run game Florida was the one that could really pass rush this is the best you know true secondary but this is the best coaching staff this is the best everything I yeah. think this if, if he can beat this one it's oh he's the Heisman winner uh, yeah I, I agree with that uh surprised surprising to learn this morning when I was just looking up random statistical rankings LSU's actually ahead of Alabama and team sacks LSU huh. has 20 sacks on the year. Alabama has 19. Both are firmly planted in the middle of the pack SEC. What that tells me is that both Tua and Burrow should go off. Yeah. Um, so, shockingly similar kind of in their defensive setups. Um, I think, though, that LSU has better linebackers than Alabama does. Secondary as a whole, ooh, I don't know. If you had to judge the secondaries against each other, which – don't give me – I mean, I get it. That's probably a lot. Well, they're never going to play – whatever. Whose yeah. secondary do you think would you say is better overall? So that's one of those things where you go to, like, if I'm going corner, corner, safety, safety, and just looking at those four players in a vacuum, I think I go LSU. I mean, it's really hard to get past Delpit and Stevens stacking up on top of Fulton and uh, – Yeah. And, and so Stingley. if you're just asking me, like, which four players in a secondary are better, I go that. But as you know, pass defense – is so much more complicated yep. than that. It's it's scheme. It's it's you know linebackers factor in there. The nickel is a huge part of that, especially in modern football. How how you, these two teams? Yeah, use might the as slot. well just talk about five guys instead of four. <laughs> That's the tricky thing, right? And I so I mean, when you look at just overall pass defense, I go Alabama pretty convincingly. I think they've proven they might be the better one there. Hmm. So that's why it is such a weird See, I argument. Guess, it's so I guess I remain. I remain unconvinced. Because I feel like how you arrive at that conclusion, and you have to take this into account. You absolutely do. Or you face I mean, better well, passing you know, you offenses. Don't, you don't have to. But yeah, how you arrive, you, you face better offenses, but also, like, we haven't really got, like, the LSU pass events now is not what it was a few weeks ago. Like, they had to learn how they wanted yeah. to use Stevens and Delpit. Uh, they needed to get guys back on the defensive line, and we all know about pass rush and pass defense being symbiotic, and so when you increase one, you increase the other. Like, the past defense we've witnessed over the last few weeks, in my opinion, is more indicative of the offense, of the defense that I expected. Like, I think yeah. a lot of people are maybe still falling into the trap of um, thinking back to, like, the Northwestern game or, like, yeah. some of that. And, and I just I don't know that I feel that that's indicative of where this defense is at right now. So, 
I've been thinking about that a lot. Who it's has a, t- a better I, want to be clear, I don't feel confident with my. Yeah, I don't feel very confident with how one way. And, or the and other. it's probably a. You know, it's it's unfortunate. Would you say it's a coin flip? Uh, I was about to. Yeah, yeah. I hate to reduce it like that, but like to to go too deep into trying to split hairs between the secondary is probably a pointless task because like they're just very close. Just know that they're very comparable and they're both very good. In fact, the defenses as a whole are very comparable, and that's where it gets weird, right? And that's why you saying that is worth bringing up because then it actually makes you think that maybe these defenses as a whole are closer than I might have just said 10 minutes ago or so because if you think these pass defenses are actually relatively close, yeah, LSU's run defense is definitively better. That is true. So all of a sudden, like maybe your frame of reference on how you look at this game suddenly changes a little bit. But then, are is like is is Alabama's passing attack better than LSU's? Are the receivers better? I mean, once again, I don't know. That's another, and that's why this game is so fascinating. That's another conversation where it almost feels like you have to get down to splitting hairs. Like, yes. if you look at Rugs and Judy and company, one thing they do better than anybody in the nation is they get yak. Uh, they average ten yard, you know, nine and a half yards every. Nine and a half yards after catch every reception. So every time they catch a ball on average, now a lot of this juiced up just by like 80-yard slants that go for touchdowns, but every time they catch a ball, they're at least getting an extra first down on top. Um, That is very impressive. That said, can you really sit here and knock the LSU receivers who are, you know, Jason Jefferson have been spectacular all year long. You got Marshall back, Thaddeus Moss. Um, Who has the better receiving core out of these two? I go Bama. Okay. Yeah, I, I think one Bama's four deep of guys you genuinely fear. LSU's probably three deep. That's true. And, yeah, I just think, I mean, that's no – I think LSU's is probably the second best in the country. So, again, it's the splitting hairs thing. But I think Alabama's is like four freaks. I guess, I mean, those are the margins, right, though, now that I think about it. The margins are hairs. While LSU is probably one freak, one really good college receiver, one – potential freak who might not be like freak level yet in Terrace Marshall. So, you know, I just think from a right at this second point of view, Alabama's are better. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's not a that's Well, not. the three hmm. – so, so the problem with that comparison is that says that Justin Jefferson is not on the same level as Judy Smith and Ruggs, and I just – I don't know. I don't know if I can jive with that. I guess what, what I meant by that was more of a like you have to cater what you're doing around that guy. Like, you know, like a Jamar Chase, you have to double. Yeah, that's true. Justin Jefferson is, oh, my God, I think he's a top five receiver in college football. I mean, I've, I'm the one who argued for Athletic to put him on our All-American midseason team. Yeah. I mean, he, I put him over Jamar Chase. I think he's a stud. But, like, as, if I'm a defensive coordinator, it's not like I have to stop Justin Jefferson. Well, and all, I, and all I meant by that is, like, I think Alabama, at least three of those guys, you, like, are like, wow, we need a plan for him. See, and, that, and that's where it gets so – and this something, this actually, it's kind of funny. This has almost been, like, a through line for a lot of our conversations this year. It's like – why is that? Why, why is that the case with Jefferson? Because the numbers don't support it. I mean, Chase and Jefferson are one and two in the SEC. Chase is averaging 107 yards a game. Jefferson's averaging 102. They both lead the SEC with nine touchdowns on the year each. It's just I well, for whatever reason, and I'm not even disagreeing with you because I feel like that is the accepted take among football minds. And maybe I, I don't know. I don't know. It is what, what 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 I will say about both these receiving cores that I really like. Um, I think that the whole is greater than the sum of their parts and that any one of these guys on a team uh, would be a problem that you would have to game plan for, right? If you were just to remove the others and you put one of them on there. But but how it works when you start adding the other guys in, it becomes like more impactful than just adding 
one more player. I feel like especially when you hit that magic number three, because you may have two corners that you're confident in, but nobody has three. And so all of a sudden when you have three, that opens up everything. Because then who do you account for? And and that's the exact problem that LSU is going to try to solve. It's a problem Alabama is going to try to solve. Um, I will say this. You have to accept, if you're an LSU fan, that they're going to make plays. That the receivers are going <laughs> to get theirs. They're going to produce. The question is, can you stop them from landing like haymakers? Can you do a bit of an Auburn impression where, yeah, maybe they rack up some yards, but when it matters most, can you play good situational football like Auburn did? on third down and force these fourth downs, get off the field. Can you play good situational for football and mitigate the damage? Um, I'm not sure, but I think that's going to be key. Christian Fulton had some interesting things we talked about. You know, like he got laughed. He's just like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how you, you know, plan around this. I don't know if there's like some way to stop it. But the thing he kept going back to was you just have to stop those slants. And it's about – yeah. It's about making sure, and Ed O'Jean had a really good response about this too, but it's about making sure that 15-yard play is only a five-yard play. You know, like, they're going to get theirs on their slants. They might, but it's about tackling. And I think that's another thing that kind of, like, you think about coverage, you think about, like, completion percentage, and you think about knocking away passes. I think this game, considering just, because we talked a lot about, one thing we always say on the show is, like, I don't know if you can play zone against Alabama, and I don't know what else he's going to do. My guess is they play man, because they, just history has shown that, but... If you're going to play man, you have to tackle because they're going to beat you on those slants quite often because that's just hard to cover. You have to make sure that it's five-yard game it's, it's seven-yard game. It's kind of interesting. If you were to look at the Auburn game plan, it would seem like the best thing to do with LSU would be to keep everything underneath, whereas against Alabama, it's like you're just from the film, you're more worried about the underneath stuff because that's what's been turning into home runs. Here's the deal, though. If that is the key, tackling in the secondary – um, then show up, Grant Delpit, right? Like, I mean, yeah. this is this is your moment. Then Delpit, Stevens, who got back to back SEC Defensive Players of the Week, that's your job. And then absolutely, Derek Stingley. I mean, you I was know, gonna say it's the corners too. Yeah. Can he prove himself anymore? Fulton. My point is, these are supposed to be your alphas. They have to go play. Like alphas, and it's Kerry Vincent, man. This is a huge Kerry yeah. Vincent game, and he's been playing better. But this he's is my well. This is my problem with Vincent is that he's going to get beat sometimes, and even if it's only two plays, people will use those two plays to completely discolor the rest of his performance. Kerry Vincent is not going. At least I don't think I would be amazed. He's not going to go out there and just shut things down. Like he's 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 not going to go out there and dominate. But he can play very well. But even in playing very well, he may give up a couple. So just fans, like, get your mind right for that. Because I, I, can, I can already see it. He's going to get beat on one play, and it's going to be like, oh, oh Kerry, now we had to worry about Kerry, Kerry Vincent. Vincent's terrible, which and is not true. I remember talk, I talked to somebody about a week ago who was you know, pretty familiar with the LSU secondary situation. He was saying, I mean, Kerry, they have Kerry Vincent lined up out, you know, in an outside alignment. Like, so he – they're basically setting him up to give up the middle. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think we I, we might have discussed this last Which week, Which they may too. have to do differently this week. And, yeah, I wonder if that's them showing something. to I don't know. But it's like he's been put in a situation to not look good because they're trying to take certain things away. Yeah. And he doesn't get credit for that. And then and I'm not saying I'm not becoming a Kerry Vincent you know, defender. I think he has some flaws. I mean, I think he's a perfectly fine nickel. And that's – you know what I mean? Like, it's all it, – these arguments become all or nothing. Yeah. I don't think he's – an elite nickel. I don't think he's a bad nickel. I think he's perfectly fine, but perfectly fine is it good enough against Alabama? That's the question. Yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, he has played better as of late. He's looking good. Which is nice. Uh, if you're an LSU fan, you're like, 
so I laid out on the show this morning, I want to do like a toughest matchups thing. And I really talked about what we just broke down, which were Alabama's receivers specifically who's ever lining up in the slot against LSU secondary and then Bama's secondary against LSU's wide receivers because Bama's secondary is so talented. But by far, in my opinion, the toughest matchup for this LSU team is going to be Bama's offensive line against LSU's defensive line. That's where it looks like I think the potential biggest weakness is for LSU. Or I should say is, that's tricky, right? Maybe maybe I should I should I shouldn't frame it as weakness, but it is a miss. I, I, it might I, be a mismatch. I, I mean it like this: um, the same way that Auburn is better than any D line LSU will play this year, this Bama offensive line yes. is better than anybody they have played and will be better than anybody they will play. It's a very good Bama offensive line. No, I think that's a good way to phrase it because I mean this Alabama offensive line. I mean it's them or Wisconsin, right? Is the best offensive yeah. line in in college football. You might I'd say Alabama's might be better because it's probably better. At pass protection than Wisconsin's is. Yeah. Wisconsin's pretty singular. It's pretty run defense, run offense oriented. I mean, it's dominant. It's like they're top ten in every single metric across the board. It's kind of bizarre. Uh, I didn't even realize all that. I just knew they were really good. No, they're re- yeah. You well, you you would know better than anyone. And no, but I'm saying no, I wouldn't though. I mean, so like even in all the advanced analytics, they're just top ten in everything. Um, yes, I actually have the offense. Well, one second, I'm gonna keep talking. Yeah, but- you know, I got. It. I'll fill time. Just go <laughs> no. ahead and get it pulled up. Well, no, but uh, anyway, I mean, but it's tricky because I think LSU's defensive line in that front six. Has looked so good lately. They have. I mean, I think there's. I think their run defense is the strength of this team. I think so many things they've been able to do lately have been, you know, whether it be win the pass coverage or any of these things, has been because the run defense has looked so good and it's put the pass defense in good situations. Yep, that's a great you're, point. You're seeing so many third and longs lately because Tyler Shelvin is blowing things up and he's freeing up and Caleb Von Chason's blowing things up and that Caleb Von Chason. Sneaky good against the run. He's been. He, Everybody wants to just make him a pass guy. And it's and by the way, his pass rush has been disappointing. I sh- we're not going to leave that out. Yeah. it's been disappointing. Yeah. but he like but it's good. If, it's not great. Yeah, early. but if you're going to criticize him for that, you have to credit him for how good he's been in run defense. Yeah. And I mean that, that front that the whole front four has been fantastic. And then also Patrick Queenham and Jacob Phillips have looked good. And then you already know for a fact that Grant Delpit and Jacoby Stevens are good. So really. You have the way LSU plays defense is you basically have a middle. I don't even think of it as a front six. I think of it as a middle eight. Yeah, that's and, a good point. And it's been fantastic against the run, but that's a huge but. Alabama's offensive line is still just that good. Yeah, you know, remember when we said going into the Auburn week that LSU hasn't faced a run game like Auburn's. Yeah, Alabama's offensive line is better than Auburn's though. Yeah, and I, it's I, just that Alabama doesn't run the ball as much, but they have been running it better and better as of. And late. they're good in all facets. They're not good, you know. They're not good at one thing and the week at another. They are good exactly. At all if you stopped Auburn running the ball, you knew you were going to win because yes. you knew that well, Bo Nix couldn't do anything. I mean, great if you would, stop Alabama running the ball. There's two a tongue. Would you like some hashtag stats? Yes. Line yards per carry, which is a pretty cool metric that kind of studies it. Like you know, the first you get a hundred. The line it's how much credit an offensive line gets for a given play. So the first three yards it gets a hundred percent of the credit. Uh, gets fifty percent of the credit for four through eight, like Whoa. yards four through eight. Okay, yeah. It's actually a really cool stat. No, it makes sense. I like <laughs> and then it. anything after anything after I think eight is credited to the running back. So, okay. and Alabama is number four in the country in that. Mm. It's number seven in opportunity rate, which is how often you generally just get the yardage you're supposed to on a given down. So mm. on first down, do you get halfway, et cetera. Uh, power success rate. They're number twelve. By the way, LSU is like is number. It's, it's actually no, no. LSU's number two in the country. It's stopping short yardage oh, runs. Oh, okay, yes, yes. Sorry, that, I was it's thinking... gonna be that's the most fun matchup, and there probably won't be too many situations like it. But I'm really excited to see what happens there. LSU is probably the best short yardage run defense in the country right now. 
Alabama is a really good run offense. And then the other one that's the important stat is their Alabama's number 15 in sack rate and number nine in, su- in stuff rate allowed. I know it's a lot of numbers. I apologize. No, that's fine, though, because that all just reinforces what, what we were talking about, which is that the Bama offensive line is the best they'll face all year, and I think that's the toughest challenge on the day. Um, when you look at Najee Harris, I mentioned coming on as late, he, he's having one of the best five-game stretches of his career just from an efficiency standpoint. He's averaging over six yards a carry right now. Um, I and, and, and it's weird, though, right, because – you're not going to overcommit to stopping the run. Like, that's not going to be the main crux of the game no. plan like it was against Auburn. So how do you strike that delicate balance of trying to stop Tua and the unbelievable receiving core while still being good against the run? Like, ideally, you want to make any team one-dimensional, right? What is the best path to making Alabama one-dimensional? Is it committing to stopping the run and then dealing with whatever coming, comes through the pass game, or do you – try to upset their pass game a bit and, and overcommit there and then force them to run the ball more and hope that your defense still holds up. It's uh, you, you. I mean, as you start to get run through these scenarios, you see why preparing for that offense becomes so tough. Here's what I think. This is my overall thoughts on what I think else you should do. And I don't know anything. but yeah. And I, I've gotten this from a few people. It's not completely of my own thought, but I, I've come to really agree with it. <laughs> I think the best move, play two high safeties. You press on the corners. And you pr- and you basically say nickel and dime us, run the ball if you need to, but you basically do not let them get any home runs on you. Yeah, one Alabama gets a little impatient offensively sometimes. That is one <laughs> thing. Tua's not a big check down guy. He Tua get- loves to uh, <laughs> loves to try to get a big play. So I think there's a few reasons I like this. One, like I said, I think they get a little impatient. So if you force them on the check downs, I think that's kind of interesting. Two, LSU is a really good man defense team. They are. Yeah, yeah. Like that's just that's pretty undeniable at this point. They're really good at that. And I'm I, I guess the Kerry Vincent stuff, I think that goes a little above my knowledge base about everything going on with how you play that. So I won't pretend, but I, I wonder what they do with him. But I think you focus on that and trust that front five, you know, those three those well, I guess front six, yeah. That and to just control the run game as yep. best as you can, but you just focus those five guys back in coverage at taking away the pass. And I think, yeah, Alabama's still gonna get theirs, but you have to go into this knowing they are going to get theirs. You're not going to shut down Alabama. You gotta mitigate the damage. <laughs> and I think that's your best plan. It's like it's you know, you just gotta it's, there's gonna be blood. You just gotta make sure that your boy doesn't bleed out. Um. So, so obviously, Shelvin has been. When you look at the LSU defensive line, he's been kind of the 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 core of the run defense. Um, who's the second most important defensive lineman for LSU? And are we counting Caleb on Chasson in that number? Let's say for the purposes of conversation, we are not. We're not because it's easy to just say him because he has to be in the great in the run and the pass. And if he is great in the pass, which I think he'll be solid. I mean, I don't know if there's any reason to expect him to just be a constant force throughout the night. If he is, that would be spectacular for stopping Tua. So take the outside linebackers out of it. Yeah. Your your defensive ends and your nose guard outside of Shelvin, who's most important? I'm gonna, what do you think? Because you clearly, if you bring this up, have a thought about I it. I don't. I'm just I'm going off the top of my head. I think Rashard Lawrence. Yeah, probably. Um, but, yeah. but that's just as simple as like I think Rashard Lawrence is you know the what? best one. It, it's probably, yeah. So it's probably more of. Because you're going to get what you get out of Lawrence. You're going to get what you get out of Shelvin. Maybe it's like, okay, what kind of impact can Fahoko have? He's a guy who's been I think that's a, really good in spots. Um, he's maybe, a big play guy. Yes, he's a big play guy. He has the ability to make a big TFL. He's got quickness. He can be good at pass rush situations. 
Um, Glenn Logan and Neil Farrell, obviously. Uh, so I guess it's like, it's a good can the depth of LSU's defensive line that we've hyped up a lot yeah. on this year, that's the way to stay going toe-to-toe with a great offensive line through four quarters. I think that that, that whole group's really going to have to show up and even play a bit over their head if they want to stop the Alabama offense. No, I'm glad you said that because I, I think that's 100% the answer to your question now that I think about it is, you know, we talked to Kayla Monchason about it. We talked to a lot of people. It's the difference because you look at last year's game and it's really worth remembering. LSU's defense did not get whooped in that game. No, it's not a at all. huge misperception about that yeah. game. LSU offense was so terrible in that game that they went three and out every single drive. They never had the ball for longer than like a few minutes. Makes you want to throw up. Just <laughs> it, was, about it, it was it was terrible. a embarrassing domination. But the LSU defense without Devin White that first half. Made a lot of stop. I yeah. have the stats somewhere, but I think they forced like four punts in the first seven drives. Yeah, they forced to his first <laughs> interception of the year. Yeah, they did some things, but they were on the field constantly because they were because the offense was so bad. And then what? Uh, the reason I bring this up is one, I don't think it's it's worth just saying. I think LSU's defense can actually maybe hang in there. But two, and this is the big thing, Calevon brought up is it's not like because the whole Ed Ocean line comments. That's always the thing to bring up right this time yep, of year. Yep, is yep, I wrote yep. about that, like we said, like. Ed Ogeron said a year ago they need to get better at the line of scrimmage and basically said the players weren't good enough, which that can be a discussion for another time. But the offensive line was probably where that might have been mainly going. But the defensive line, Caleb Vaughn said, is they, they, we didn't play great, but we didn't play bad. But the difference was we had no rotation. Yeah, they got tired. It was literally Ed Alexander, Glenn Logan, and Richard Lawrence. That was it because Brain Fajoko was playing. He played a little bit, but playing like with a, a torn bicep. He played with a torn bicep. Which and Neil Farrell wasn't yet where he is now, so he wasn't really. He played, but you couldn't really trust yeah. him. You had no rotation. This year, long way of getting to my point. You have a six man. You lost Justin Thomas. That's actually a bummer for LSU. That's it. Well, it's, I mean, we'll get. Actually, we haven't even talked about Divinity. I won't we'll get yeah, there. As that was well. going to be the thing I was going to say. But. Yeah. But yeah, you have a six-man rotation of guys like that you actually really like, and I hate it's a corny way of phrasing it, but like I think you have six guys that you would feel confident starting in a football game on that because maybe corny, but a lot of those old cliches are rooted in truth. Yes, and so yes, if you have you trust Neil Farrell to start. Neil Farrell, from a pure productivity standpoint, is probably their best defensive end. Oh wow, I didn't realize that. I don't. I, I'm not. Con- but like, I think he actually has been as good as anyone. He's like, dude, I don't, I don't know. I thought you were like, yeah, you know, I thought you were gonna come with some numbers or I don't something. Know. I'm not talking about it. Actually, I think I do have. Them. I thought I was setting you up. You're like, I, I mean, said yeah. probably. I don't know. I mean, sure. <laughs> well, he's he's no. Wait, hey, ready? Yes. So, he leads the team with seven and a half run stuff. I mean, let's go. Let's go. Neil Farrell hunches come true. What a beast. <laughs> but so yeah, Neil Farrell's really good. And like we said about Fahoko, I think he has some flaws. Plays out of control can make some good plays, and he's still way better than your average backup defensive lineman. Never so, forget, Sports Talk 101, you miss all the you miss all the takes you don't make, okay? So you got you to fire him off there. Even but I also, you're going to miss. But what's, okay. what's, you hit right there. But what's hard for me to struggle with that is that I also work in a field that, like, if you get a fact wrong in a story, you get scolded Break and shamed. And, yeah, <laughs> so you can't take that. You can't take that out of me. I mean, we live in a world where I read a Skip Bayless tweet yesterday that I just thought was fantastic. Um, He was talking about how uh, the Kansas City Chiefs play harder under Matt Moore than they have ever played for Patrick Mahomes. I mean, like, chef's kiss. Genius. No. That is genius. It takes a creative mind to craft an argument like that. Start sculpting the fifth head on Mount Rushmore, man. I agree. I agree. The guy is a... 
It's sad He's a gift. that uh, Stephen A. and Skip are no longer together because they're the only two people that can like legit, like stand on those takes and really try to argue their. But points. hot take now by divvying them up, you're spreading them out more of the world. You know. Oh, okay. You're, yeah. And it's given us Shannon Sharp, which as I said, I've never watched that show, but Shannon Sharp memes are some of my favorite memes, and them photoshopping his face onto that cat that ran across the Monday Night Football game. Oh my God, it is so good, y'all. You haven't seen it? Please go look it up. All right, um, back to the LSU game. Um, you want to talk to Vinny? R- r- hold on. I'm just hold let on. Me, let me let me work to my brain. So we talked all about the D-line and, and the rotation maybe being key to going toe-to-toe with that offensive line deep into the fourth, and I agree with that. Let's go to Vinny. All right, so Michael Vinny off the team. Um, you broke the news um, because I gave you the inside info. Um, you did not. <laughs> this is definitely true. Uh, no, not really. I'm not. I'm not Brody's source at all. Um, I just Jordy's pretty connected. I just repeat whatever Jordy tells me. Uh, but you did break it. Congratulations! You got a lot of retweets and everything. Um, very proud of you. But Michael Davini's not just out for this game. He is off the team. What does it mean for Saturday? I don't know if it means a crazy amount for Saturday. Here's the thing. I think if you told me this happened seven weeks ago, I'd be like, "Oh, LSU's in trouble." Yeah. He's been mar. I mean. I, like there's two sound like it's he's a really good player. I firmly believe Michael Davini is a very good football player, and it is obviously they are worse for not having him. I'm not, but because of the fact that he was already being held out of three games with coaches' decisions for disciplinary disciplinary action, because of that, the team has actually already been making adjustments about what life would be like without him, and yeah. has actually gotten stronger in turn because he was supposed to be the starting inside linebacker. And first off, you and I both agreed that just wasn't a great fit, in our opinion. Well, I mean, look, I was just willing. No, I mean, I don't know that I was very much on record saying he should go back to end because the coaches were so adamant yeah. about it that I was I understood just, it. I yeah. was trusting their evaluation, but man, it looks like that was a complete waste of time. A little bit, but like, like maybe, maybe, if maybe they were just giving us spring content. You know, exactly. They were- <laughs> like maybe if it's true, where like it really was so sloppy in the spring, which I'm already starting to question now, and like. They needed him there to tighten it up. Like may- maybe that happened, and, and you know what? It probably did. It no, probably did. I mean, I go back. I think it's pretty clear what happened. I think Divinity was one of, at least in their opinion, one of the six or seven best players on this defense. Yeah. You knew his role was going to be marginalized as an outside linebacker with what they wanted to do on defense, and you weren't a hundred percent sure about inside linebacker. Yeah, we're going to find a way to see if we can get one of our better players on the field. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it. I don't. Th- I think it's that simple. And he was one of the better communicators and all that, but. Anyway, so but grand scheme of things, I just don't think it was a perfect fit for what he's good at. No. So then he Which he misses you've seen because since he's gone back to what he's good at, he, well he's look good, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then he misses two games in the first three games of the season. Yeah. And in turn, Patrick Queen and Jacob Phillips have really come on, and that's where the credit goes. But those two it's really have looked- been the rise of. Uh, I think people expect this out of Phillips. I don't think Patrick Queen was on a ton of people's radars coming into this year, and. Uh, Patrick Queen's rise has been fantastic. Yeah, so all of a sudden now you have two, you really like those two inside linebackers. And you and plus you have depth there. You like Damone Clark behind them. You even can tr- at least trust Micah Baskerville. He's played? <laughs> yeah, so you have four guys even without Divinity there. So all of a sudden now you're like, hey, this might actually be better without him at inside linebacker. Plus you know he's disciplinary issues. So It's kind of funny because once again, much like the Florida game where LSU finally made the adjustment and started bringing more, this is one of the few times where I feel like a – Majority fan take is actually correct because True. like everybody was saying like why is Davini at inside? He's yeah. a pass rusher. He should be back on the outside, back on the outside. And like from where we sit today, that's really hard to argue with. 
It seems yeah. like he should have been there from the beginning of the year. I think we were wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you, what happened was, okay, they realized you know, he's missed all this time. We don't want to mess with something working well. You put him back on the outside. And he's played, but he is pretty marginalized now. He, he, you know, he's the second outside linebacker, and they don't run those sets too often on first and second down. He's the only thing you're really missing with him gone is we're losing some depth, of course, but you're missing out on third down pass rush, which is huge. Is huge this game. He's really, really good at third yeah. down pass rush. He's had two sack, two games in a row with the sack. He also had that pressure against Florida on third down that like was almost a sack that actually was a huge stop in the crux of that game. I mean, if you wanted to he's say, a, you could almost boil it down to simply, he's played three less games and he led the team in sacks. Yeah. I mean, from he's been their best pass rusher, actually. I think yeah. I'm ready to say that. Yeah. I thought I wasn't ready to, and I think I am now. I I can't argue with that. And yeah. so losing your best pass rusher before you go against Tua sucks. It is a blow, but I agree with you, Brody. This is not some death knell. Like, he is only going to be on the field on third down, and it really sucks that you're losing him, but... Uh, Alabama had their All-American linebacker go down before the season started. Right? Yeah, they, Alabama's lost much have, more than LSU. They have so like they they have had adversity of their own. Like we said, four true freshmen, including two linebackers. I mean, Christian Harris was playing cornerback at U High at this time last year, <laughs> getting ready for a playoff run, and now he's getting ready to start at linebacker in that game. So like, this is football, okay? And, and granted, this isn't an injury, so you become a little more frustrated because it seems preventable. Yeah. And whatever, man, I hope Michael Davini, I hope he gets through all this, and I hope he comes out on the other side better for it. I really feel for him. This has got to freaking, and I don't care if it's his fault or whatever people want to say, it still sucks, okay? This is terrible to happen at this point in your life, and, and I, hope that he, I hope that he bounces back from it. Um, but it's football, and it's adversity. And, and like I always say, what defines you is not simply the adversity you're met with. It's not what happens. It's how do you respond to what happens. And so I want to see how this LSU team responds. How do you think you make up for the loss of Michael Devaney? Also, real quick, so you are losing a pure, like from a pure productivity standpoint, you're losing something. You're also losing something in the leadership angle, which does suck. And just a locker room yeah. guy. When I was at player interviews yesterday, um, did you notice this? Um, I noticed this because I was going to do an interview with Caleb and I ended up just <laughs> letting him have space back off. It seemed like there was some... Um, they were bummed. They were bummed. Like oh, yeah. a couple guys were really bummed about about, about the news. And so Elon they have was to, really bummed. Jacob Phillips was yeah. really bummed. Yeah. yeah. It was noticeable. And so it sucks. And so they have to try to process that very quickly and then and then move on from it. Yeah. Um but in terms of football. And I've been in those situations. I mean, we lost our sorry, just to, I mean, I hate doing this because whatever. Um but we all draw from our own experiences. I remember a week before the Oregon game, a huge 5-3 matchup that had been hyped up the entire offseason. Our starting quarterback got suspended. Uh, now, I don't think he should. Whatever. That's not the point. <laughs> I don't think he should have been. But but he got suspended. And so I remember like a lot of people were very upset. But we just adopted. We were like, look, man, we got a game. We got a role. Like, it sucks, but we got to move on. And it caused some friction initially. But then but then they got through it. So how will this LSU team respond? So I think from a if you're just starting with the leadership point of view, I think on defense you're more well suited for that than on offense. Where on defense you actually have a pretty long list of guys you like in those. You know, you yeah. really like Jacoby Stevens as a leader. You really like Caleb Vonchason as a leader. You really like Braden Fajoko as a leader. And also you still got your Rashard Lawrence's. You got your Grant Delpits. I mean, you got you know guys that you definitely trust in those settings. So I don't think like you're like, wow, what are we gonna do without a leader? From a pure football point of view, we discussed he was already a little marginalized. So then the question becomes, what do they do on third down? 
That's a fun question, actually. I'm really excited to see what they do because I think we can get a little trapped sometimes in thinking because one way they did it is how they're going to do it. You know, they went cheetah package, and cheetah package has become like the norm on third down, which is just to clarify, they're one defense, one true yeah. defensive lineman, a lot of outside linebackers and defensive backs. It's a really good set for them. But it's not like it's like third down, we have to go cheetah. It's that's the from a personnel point of view made the most sense for LSU. Yeah. So one, they could just go cheetah and you know, Richard Lawrence already replaced Justin Thomas, who's also out for, gone for the season. They replaced him with Richard Lawrence. That worked. And then you could most likely replace Michael Divinity with Andre Marshall Anthony. Brooks. Oh, Marshall Brooks is already on that unit. Oh, he was out there with Divinity. He's he's been full time for about four okay, weeks now okay, on okay. the pass rush team. So the pass okay, just to clarify for listeners, the the front four of this cheetah package on third down that's been really successful in my opinion has been before any of these suspensions. Justin Thomas was the D lineman, and then Caleb Chason, Michael Divinity, and Marcel Brooks, and it's worked pretty well. Okay, now it's Richard Lawrence and Thomas. If you're going to go cheetah, I think your immediate replacement is Andre Anthony. Andre Anthony has a lot of flaws in the football field, and I do not think you can trust him to be a three-down defense outside my, linebacker. My problem with Andre Anthony and Ray Thornton is you've heard that like every time well, one is mentioned, the other is mentioned, and they just always have been mentioned as like, well, we have these guys, but well, then let you me, never see them make. What I was going to say is Andre Anthony has flaws, and I I don't think he's not, he can't pass defend. I don't think he's good at run defense, but he's always been a good pass rusher. Okay. He is a good pass. I'm not claiming he's Michael Divinity, but like he is a trustworthy pass rusher. Okay. So if you want to go Cheetah, you can go him. I've also heard Damone Clark is a very possible uh, consideration for yeah, that spot. Then, so you mentioned that spot being marginalized. When they do have that outside linebacker on question. the field, is that going to be Damone Clark? Because I've heard... Our- I've heard, possibly. I've heard it's either Anthony or Clark. I always struggle to... I say I heard. Did I just read that in one of your articles? I never, I I never know. know. Sometimes I struggle to separate this information streams. Yeah, I don't know if they'd feel confident going with Clark and on, on so a first... So who would you go opposite at outside linebacker? On like a first or second down? Yeah, if, you, if, if you're not in a nickel or three safety look. I think you have to go... In a, I think Clark would be in... If you think... I'm not in the room, so I don't know if you can trust Clark to like know what he's doing there. If you can trust Clark to know what he's doing there, I think he'd be a fantastic choice because he's explosive and he's, you know, can like hold the zone and run stuff like an inside linebacker. Yeah. Just, you know, galaxy brain. Patrick Queen did start two games at outside linebacker last season. Maybe go Clark back inside and Queen in outside sometimes. Ooh, that would feel like a lot of, uh, that would feel like a lot of Clark shoulders. Like as opposed yeah. to being like. I'm just chucking uh, things yeah, out no, no, I actually sure, do not, sure. I do not think that would happen. But. For sure. I'm just thinking like, Give give Clark a nice little vertical slice of the playbook, yeah, and have him be a limited outside linebacker. Because I think that's probably the best. Because I don't think I'd like Andre Anthony in there. I mean, you hear a lot of people around the program say he's looked better this year, but I just don't know. Yeah. But from a pass rush point of view, yes. But then the last thing I was going to say was, it's not assumed they have to go cheetah though. So you you wonder, okay, maybe in those pass rush situations they go with the, that peso package, which is two down linemen, extra defensive back. And you know, outside linebacker. Yeah. So maybe you go with like Lawrence and Fajoko or something like that, or Lawrence and Logan with with Chason and, and Marcel Brooks. That could work perfectly fine too. I don't think it's like one or the other where you have to like replace Divinity in a Cheetah package. Yeah, um, I, I think that's fair. So I guess to sum so, up the Divinity takes, it's a blow. <laughs> also, I have to say one more thing. Okay, yeah, go. As much as we're talking about replacing him in two outside <laughs> linebacker sets. Jacoby Stevens is the other outside linebacker. Yeah, yeah. Grant Delpit is. That, yeah. And then that is, to your point, when, when, when you hear Brody say um, that position's been marginalized, that's what he means. And you, you wrote a great article about this. Uh, but that that's a position group where 
because they're playing these uh, three safety looks, because they're playing nickel, because you have Stevens and Dublin on the field at the same time, that's a position that has already kind of been pushed aside a little bit. So, um, and, and it makes sense. Like, you want Delpit and Stevens against this Alabama team. You want them on the field as much as possible. The bummer, really, for LSU is that I don't think we can understate, and I'd love to ask Dave when we talked to him at the bowl, if we talked about the bowl, yeah. about how much the Todd Harris injury and Keenan Jones leaving actually screwed up what he wanted to do. Because they loved three safeties, man. They hell, they played four. I think there was a time you saw five against UCF. You know, they love yeah. LSU safeties. That's what I wrote about at length going to the season. We talked about it at length. We're like, what are they going to do with all these safeties? All of a yeah. sudden, you're thin there, and I wonder how much you know, how much less they can do because they just don't have a third safety they can trust. That's all. I don't have much to go with that, but like, you would be so much more free losing Divinity, knowing hey, we can put Stevens and Delphi outside in those sets and go with the third safety back there. But you just don't have that anymore, which makes me also wonder, because I've seen a lot of Eric Monroe tweets about, like, this is my time and all these things. Oh, this week? Yeah. Oh. Do you see Eric Monroe a little more on the football field as a third safety? I mean, I love that kind of reading between the te- the tweet leaves. Um, yeah. that that, that could Those are the kind of things. theories I only float out 45 minutes into the show. By the way, did you like that just now? Reading between the tweet leaves? That was good. That was Are subtle, too. Were you ready for that? Like, No. Like, have you ever just, said that before? No, obviously. Look at my reaction. I'm completely blowing it now by highlighting it. It's cool, though. But damn. Though, no, props to was, you. I make fun of you a lot. I give you credit when it's due. I'm going to keep using that now. Reading between the tweets. But you have to say it like you're saying it for the first time yeah, yeah, each no, time. No, no, no. I won't tell you. And I one. won't. And it's like, you know, it's one of my biggest pet peeves. And as I just was guilty you're doing of it. it yeah. um, people love to call out a good segue. If you call out a good segue, you have l- quite literally ruined the Act segue. like you've been here before, you yes, know? Yes, exactly. I need a Barry Sanders. It Just hand the ball to the ref and move on. It's like the journalism thing when you see somebody tweet out a big story and they're like, been working on this for two months, called this many people. <laughs> I like This is how much work on journalism I've done. I'm like, dude, act like... You realize that doesn't that makes it look worse. Yeah, because that makes it look like you're not do putting it in that effort. Like, well, no, it makes it look like first off you're setting a weird standard. Like now, like people are going into this thinking that should be a masterpiece, and also make it seem like it's easy to you. Make yeah. it seem like yeah. like this is like yeah. what you can do all the time. Like, That's true. When That'll people make do that, people hire you. I, I roll every single time I see that. Like, why? Oh, that's great. Also, a lot of the times the numbers they throw out aren't even that great of numbers. Like, I call it eleven people. Is that that many? <laughs> How it, many people do you call? On like a big feature, yeah, like a big feature, like quite a lot, yeah. Like, if you I also, guess. Now I'm just curious. I don't know. I'm trying to think like what big thing, like Burrow. Like I did a big Burrow story. I think yeah. I talked to 15 or 20, but I also didn't draw attention to it. Wow. Yeah. I didn't quote all of them. Yeah. I don't know. You heard Brody, the hardest working journalist in the business, right here. Exactly. No, but he makes it look easy. Exactly. Like you've been here before. That's, <laughs> that's my number one like rule in life. I agree. I agree. Even though, well, I don't know if I agree because I love celebrating and shit. Um, uh, <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm, Paul does a I'm just still thinking about the tweet leave. I mean, it's good shit, damn, man. I'm a genius. Uh, <laughs> all right, so we hit on we hit on divinity. Um, let's talk about Tua's ankle. Fine. Um, my least favorite topic. Like me, it likes to wear all black. He looks <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah, 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 funny. Uh, here's and I don't want to belabor the point because we're not doctors, so we don't actually know yeah. the point, and we're not in that medical staff, so we don't actually know if he's going to play or not. My point is. I don't know that it matters. Um, yes, huh. Tua's running ability was one of the things that helped Alabama's offense to eventually break through and separate. But I saw Kyle Trask on a partially torn MCL make plays with his legs. Like, I think Tua will be able to still make plays with his legs. And even if he can't, 
Now, it would definitely help if he's truly not a threat running. That does help defensively a bit because you don't have to be as disciplined in your rush lanes, etc. But I still don't know that LSU is particularly well-suited to taking advantage of an immobile Tua for all the reasons that we've already named. Because they're going up against that offensive line, because yeah. the LSU four-man rush is not that great. Yeah. And as soon as you start committing extra guys to the rush against Alabama, Tua sees the entire field uh, just about as good as anyone. I mean, him and Burrow. And he will make you pay. So I don't actually think that Tua's ankle's that big of a deal. And it's not his plant foot, which my uh, friend from high school who became an orthopedic surgeon, very impressive, he's also an Alabama grad, uh, he was saying that because it's not his plant foot, he feels pretty good about him playing. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason it's my least favorite discussion on earth this week, or at least this month, has been like, I don't know. Yeah. I have absolutely no... I almost cursed. Well, okay, but then, but then, no, but then operate under these parameters. But what I'll say is that it's a slightly hobbled yeah. two. Can LSU even take advantage? Well, also I want to add like Matt Zenitz from AO.com, who I, is one of the people I trust for anything Alabama news. Oh, MZ, he's really good. And he had a story just about an hour ago saying it's looking really good for Tua's status for Saturday. Uh, expectation continues to be he'll play against LSU, and that he'll likely look healthier and less limited than what most people are probably expecting. Matt's not somebody who's by any means going to write something for Alabama's benefits. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's 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 worth throwing in there. But you worked for AL.com, <laughs> so surely he would never do that. Sorry, continue. Alabama does not like Matt Sennett because he breaks so much <laughs> oh, stuff. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to Matt. Great reporter. Uh, anyway, yeah, I mean, I think I think you nailed it. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, yeah, their four-man rush is not quite good enough to really – this is a huge Caleb on game, which is becoming a broken record. We're saying every week, but he's done it against Florida. He was huge. He was great. Eight tackles, three TFLs, had the sack, had the key holding that got you the stop True. that you needed. So he, no stat for that. I yeah. just can he be that again? He hasn't done it consistently enough for me to expect him to be that. He's capable, but I, I don't know that I can sit here and say that I expect him to because Leatherwood is probably even better than Cosme. And although Kalevon and Cosme battled, and I think it was closer than people think, Cosme still won. He that won, battle. yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I think and we got we talked about this earlier, and I think it's a good point that like I think the answer why they might be a little well, decently well suited to to do this is that you do you are going to be fresh on the D line. You can't constantly be throwing fresh bodies up yeah. there and get more of a pass rush. But no, I do not think by any means they're going to really affect Tua. And first off, nobody's really been able to affect Tua except Clemson, which we have, we've talked about and. I, I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's all going to come down to the secondary. And so Brody Miller, you heard it here first. He thinks Tua's ankle is fine. He will one thousand percent play. Send him all of your questions at Brody A Miller. Is it Brody A Miller? It is Brody Miller. at Brody A Miller Bam. on Twitter. And uh, yeah, ask him about Tua's ankle until game day. He will be bringing you real time updates throughout the week. Got an inside guy. Um, yeah, Matt Zenit. Shout out to MZ. Is it? <laughs> is it Zenit? Zenits. Zenits. Right on. I could be pronouncing it wrong too. That would suck. Uh, that would be embarrassing. I'm friends with Matt. Yeah. I would definitely. Well, are you though? If <laughs> yeah. you're pronouncing his name wrong. How often do you? Yeah, I just yeah, never really. I call somebody by the first name. No, that's like, true. That's true. Uh, how hey, would you pronounce my name? Hebert. Uh, okay. At least you didn't say Herbert. That would have. <laughs> that, that's the only time when I'm like, mm, if you're gonna mispronounce it, you have to mispronounce it correctly. To Bob Hebert. There is no first R. Um. Okay. Wait. So. We are over an hour here. We're about to wrap up. I had something that I wanted to bring up. Indiana football? No, but... How Will uh, Muschamp is better than you thought he was in August? Who, Will Muschamp? Yeah. No. No, South Carolina sucks. What are you talking about? They do not suck. Yeah, they do. They do not suck. How do they not suck? They beat Georgia and, yep. and took Florida down to the wire. Okay. They lost Florida. 
BFD. Uh, they still suck. I do not think they suck. Look but, at the SEC standings. Look at things are more complicated than that. It's oh, is it though? This is a zero sum game, Brody. W's and L's. I'm really mad, actually, that I missed my window to bring this up like four weeks ago because I remember thinking about it in the shower, like, oh, I got to give T-Bob shit for this because he shit on Muschamp so hard. Yes. And and then he goes and beats Georgia. And and you're the guy out here banging the drum for a four and five team. I think That was maybe supposed to threaten the East. I think SEC football is more complicated than literally who wins and loses games. I think Will Muschamp has a really good defense there right now. And they are Ugh. doing some interesting stuff. And I think Muschamp is probably, and we've established South Carolina is not a school people win at. Yeah, if you smell like shit one day and then you take a shower, people may give you more credit than you deserve. So I guess I agree with you. He's winning games, they, well, for, except for Tennessee. They're winning games they should win. They beat Kentucky. They beat Georgia. They beat whooped Vanderbilt. We cannot end the pot of the year on a Will Muschamp. We're not debate. ending it here. Bottom I just, line. I just really think it's frustrating line. that you are so binary sometimes. Will You're so Mus- like, oh, he's five and four, so he's not good. This, Yeah, fire Adam Gase, fire Freddie Kitchens, fire Will Muschamp. I'm down with all three of those things. I can live with the first two. Now, to be fair, that's not actually fair to even Muschamp because Adam Gase. And oh, Freddie Muschamp! Kitchens I think are, I think firing Muschamp would be insane. Well, but, oh, yes, firing Muschamp is pointless because you're South Carolina and you have the worst football history of any SEC team ever. And you have some really interesting stuff going on. You have a really good front seven right now. Sure. I mean, look, I don't give a shit. Keep 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 going in South Carolina. <laughs> they will be. I love that I did this. By they will the way. be completely irrelevant. The and last ten minutes of our show is the highlight of my week my every week because I problem, one of us gets worked up about something stupid. My biggest problem with Muschamp, and he's been better about it this year, so I will give him credit to him. But he still lost you a don't couple like the glasses. Times. No, no, I actually love. I love more studious will look. That is one of my favorites. One more, one more check in his like box. lowering the uh, the glasses to the bridge of the nose is just a like if you want to appear smart and mature. Wearing your glasses on the bridge of your nose is a surefire way to do it. I've, I just hate I hate coaches that demand poise and then throw these tantrums. And when you're talking about tantrums, every coach does it. So it is a scale. But when you're talking about tantrums, who throws bigger tantrums than Will Muschamp? And he's been better this year. But who throws bigger tantrums? Throw some big ones. I don't know. I don't really watch that. I watch I mean, football. Me, maybe even say, but 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 you don't think there's a disconnect there when 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 you demand poise and self control out of your players, Dev- and you look like a three year old. Devil's advocate. Get- you're showing you got fired for your boys. You're no. showing you're gonna fight for them. No, see exactly. There's a fine. Line. No, no, but I'm not even talking about yelling at the refs, even though I think that looks really shitty to begin with. Um, but I'm talking about even when they when they dress down their players oh. like a kid who doesn't get a toy at the grocery store that they desperately wanted. Jimbo does that too. Yeah. And I think it looks terrible. Oh, no, I'm just thinking of guys who said, is anyone this bad? Um, I mean, Saban freaks out, but he wins, so it doesn't matter. And, and he doesn't even freak out as much anymore. I just Hey, I Ed, just, Ed does it in his own way, but Ed just can stare at a guy. Yeah, I think Ed's look, got a scary I, I'm not stare. saying you don't get on to your players. A little more self-control goes a long way. I'm, not, reason, I'm arguing nothing. I it's don't, the reason why, like, O from the past compared to now has come down in that regard. You look at, and I'm not the biggest Brian Kelly fan, but, like, I think he's done better since he's chilled out in that regard. It's just a yeah, true look. And you know what? To be fair to Will, Muschamp's chilled out as well. Oh, yeah. I, um, by the way, I'm arguing nothing. I have no take in this What matter. do we do? We keep talking. What the fuck? Right. Um, this was intentional, and I'm really proud. I know. You trolled the hell out of me. That was like hook, line, and sinker. All right, give me your do – you I th- dove under the bridge with you. All right. The line has moved from as high as eight down to six. I even saw a 5.5 somewhere. What do you take, my dude? 
Alabama is a five and a half. Uh, I'm a terrible gambler. Um, I'm a fantastic gambler. I see no reason. Yeah, you're from Philly. You're like Tim Donahue. I'm you from have Jersey. refs on the on. You have refs in your pocket, giving you inside information. Which, by the way, speaking of fantastic articles, the Tim Donahue piece from ESPN last oh, was, year was incredible. It was incredible. Yeah. It also has made me doubt. I tweeted this yesterday. It and I am not a conspiracy guy, but when it comes to an individual, because because okay, so it has made me at least a little bit paranoid. When you see consistently questionable calls from a single referee as to oh, yeah. is there more going on there? Because when you read about how Donahue would influence games, it was pretty fa- – it was oh, I, it was insidious. I think and it goes so, on. so, like, uh, I can't remember his name, but there's an NFL ref where there's an entire tweet thread, and there were, like, three or four just really questionable calls, like the hands to the face, uh, an illegal hit. And it's like, man, those are super subjective calls calls it's just i think stuff goes on i 100 percent. i think yeah. it's naive to think it now doesn't. now now and then somebody tweeted me oh so are you finally willing to admit that there's a bama ref conspiracy i'm like no, no no because the problem with that is that would have to involve all of the refs coming together and being like okay, yeah i am talking about i will get sketched out i can entertain the idea that a single ref may be on the payroll somewhere for sure i mean i think i just think i think these things factors in i think there are refs who yeah but i don't think refs are ever out to screw out a team i think they're they're in it to Help a certain gambler, you know. No, exactly. Not a team. I'm talking about it. Yeah. No, no, no. We're that's, agreeing. Oh, yeah. That's another counterpoint to yes. To- <laughs> if anything, I I would love to get coaches like to just truly admit that like I'm not saying they would ever base a game off this. Oh my god, no. They're trying to win, but like when a game is pretty much decided, yeah. you, they do some things to help their boosters out. I think in certain spreads. Oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, definitely. I w- I wouldn't be surprised. You know, if it's like a 21 point game, the spread's 20, and it's like I don't know. Um. Okay, I think we've hit on everything I want to talk about. We we hit on the matchups, hit on the players, hit on Muschamp, hit on Muschamp, the key statistical difference. Alabama having a better turnover ratio than LSU. Indiana uh, seven and two. Indiana seven and two. Shout out to the Hoosiers. What bowl y'all gonna go to? I don't know. Maybe the Gator Bowl. Maybe the maybe the uh, Music City Bowl, which would be lovely. So the college football playoffs coming out tonight. Uh, oh yeah. That's do you fun. think Alabama's gonna be one and two? I think LSU's got to be one just by everything the, pl- the committee has. Uh, I'll say two, Bama three. Possibly. Yeah, I think, I think so. everything the committee has ever done has shown like they are really going to look at resume and they are really going to look at just like how dominant you are. I think it's got to And they're, you know. It's LSU they're, and Ohio State. They're seven and one against the spread. Yeah, give it to LSU them. and Ohio State. And then I go I go Bama three, and then I probably have to go Clemson four. You have to go Clemson four. But that's, again, interesting because are you just using the context of the past to say They're undefeated. They're undefeated in a Power 5 conference. I mean, it's that that's simple. That's true. I guess that is just Oklahoma Sometimes lost. we, like, overlook that, you know? like No, I forgot that Oklahoma lost. Not you. If, if yeah. Oklahoma, no, but you're right, though. But Because, like, if Oklahoma had not lost. Oh, Oklahoma then, should be four, yeah. Or even three. But then again, I mean, you got Penn State who's undefeated in that conference as well. So, yeah, I think that's one of those situations where you put it a certain spot because you know it's going to work itself out. That is it's like fair as well. It's like why LSU was three last year. Like I don't know if LSU was really the <laughs> best team when they were ranked, <laughs> but I'm like, but you knew you knew it was going to work itself out. Yeah. Um. How about Cocho saying that Bear Bryant wasn't allowed in his house? He said that before. That's not, that's an old story. Oh, is that an old story? Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm, I'm being not, a bit I'm of a dick a right journalist. now. I apologize. Dick. You said that last um, year. Oh well. Okay. Let's just. Okay. I think we should call it then. Okay. <laughs> Here at the end of the pod. I'm grumpy. I'm about to get Elsie's. After all of this incredibly detailed, analytic, thoughtful criticism and evaluation and analysis of this game, where are you landing, Brody? <laughs> I really hope you guys heard that. Um. Sorry. 
I go, all day. I, you know, I think I'm, I think it's a back and forth shootout. Like it's a genuinely good game. And I go Alabama 38, 31. Mm. So I say, take the over. So every year, I think I it's just, like thirty. I think it's thirty-one twenty-eight Alabama. Like games down to the wire. Alabama gets one big stop, goes up thirty-eight twenty-eight, and then like maybe a field goal happens later. Yeah, actually no, then I'll go thirty-eight thirty-five. If I'm going fully objective when predicting games, I almost just always get lazy and just say whatever Vegas is saying because they tend to know, right? So like easily you could just be dismissive and be like, okay, well Alabama wins, and they win a close one. That's kind of yeah. That's what I'm doing. Because they're they're plus six, and you know, and and as we said, Vegas indeed does know what they're talking about. That said, what I love about this year that is so much different than years past is in the past I've had to use things like uh, irrational belief, and fan stands for fanatics. So like, who cares what's supposed to happen? You can believe whatever you want. Like you can think that this is gonna happen. Blah, blah. Yeah. Well, now this year you truly do have a legitimate shot. Yeah, and so while like. And, and look, picking games and predictions, it is what it is. It's it's kind of dumb anyway. But, like, sure, I, I could sit here and I could pick LSU. I'd probably be doing it more out of fanhood than just base objective reasoning. But for the first time in years, I can use truly objective reasoning to show why LSU has a very good chance to win this game. And you could not do that in the past. So I think that should be your big takeaway, right? And it's funny because we're back to the coin flipping. The big takeaway is honestly that this is truly it really is. a coin flip. And it has not been that since 2011. Yeah, like I don't agree. If you ask me just my personal opinion, I don't agree that it's 66% chance Alabama. I think it's. That feels a little heavy. Yeah, I, I really sincerely to my core believe this is a really close toss up game. The only reason. And, I, and I'm counting a coin flip even at like 55 45. Yeah. Clear. I'm not I, yeah. Sure and when I say like, like Alabama by seven, that's not me saying I think Alabama's like. I think that means they win by one score in a shootout. Exactly, right? Like, like look at the LSU-Florida game. That was a game that fell close, yet LSU still covered a 13-and-a-half-point spread. So, yeah. like, you know, six is what it is. That's a score. That's a score. That's all you need. It's going to score. Damn it, I hope they win. Oh, my God. Nothing would make me happy. If they lose, though, I can go to this wedding on December 7th. Shut the fuck up. So, Who cares about your wedding? I'm just kind of throwing my two cents out there. Ugh, gross. You don't want to go to Atlanta? I would love to go to Atlanta. That'd be great. College Football Hall of Fame? Both are great options. Do you even sports? I think both would be fantastic. You can eat Chick-fil-A sandwiches? I mean, if we're like, actually, you want my actual like life scenario preference? Yeah. Like, aside from like anything involving what I cover and like, like LSU, I, yeah. I, I don't have no take on LSU. I mean, just from a pure happiness point of view, I'd probably, the best scenario would be LSU loses but still makes the playoff for me. Because mm. I don't know if I want to go to Atlanta. Have it was kind of funny. We talked to Billy Napier today and, um, I want to cover the playoff. I very much do. Of course I do. Yeah, for but sure. But I can live without the SC title game. No, we talked to Billy Napier today, though, and he uh, he was very – his most interesting answer kind of was about 2011 and how how much time they had to prepare. He was almost laughing as he was talking about how, like, I mean, he was like, I mean, we had, like, 35 days to get ready. We didn't have to play a game. And I was like, damn, dude, you know they were just loving it, getting to sit at home and game plan well, they knew that LSU was having to get ready for an SC championship, beating themselves. Oh, my because that was pretty playoff, so you knew exactly who we were playing. That yes, game. yeah, yes, yes. He well, they didn't know they were getting in necessarily, but you but know, they if they were praying for anything, it would be that if they were yes, they were preparing for LSU. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it was. Huh. Um, 
But that's, maybe it wouldn't be bad to be on the other side of but that. But different. I would still take. I would still take beating Alabama over anything. It needs to happen. And also, it's, it's it's gotten too big. It's 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 just it's it's a it's a burden on all LSU's backs right now. Like all fans, like you feel like you're living under crimson oppression. Oh, of course, the LSU yoke, wants to win this game. The yoke yeah. needs to be thrown off. It's not. Yeah, LSU wants to win this game. But also, correct me if I'm wrong here. But I would say if LSU wins this game, they're in. Like if they lose the college football playoff, I don't. I think they still get in. I mean, if they if they lose the SEC title, I mean, you have four top ten wins. You have the biggest win in college football. I think LSU still gets in. If anything, if L- so, I think if LSU wins this game, Bama, I think it really uh, things might happen. But I kind of think Bama's out. I because Bama think, would have no wins except maybe Auburn. Yeah, yeah, I think you would have a bit of Bama fatigue as well, where like mm-hmm. you'd risk a bit of a. Uh, You'd risk really upsetting the college football viewer if Bama was to get another benefit of the doubt situation. Because, That's okay, say sad. that happens. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I want to do this, actually. All right, let's do it. Let's dive in. <laughs> so say it all kind of goes a little chalky up to that point. So say it really looks like it's going to be going to that championship game, you know, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and then one of those teams, right? Yeah. Well, Georgia would be right there in the mix That's as what well, I was going right? to say. So say Georgia beats LSU. Then Georgia has to go. Georgia has to go. Yeah. And I just don't see how it's humanly possible to not put LSU in if they've beaten Texas, Alabama, Auburn, and Florida. I mean, that would be a spectacularly bad beat for LSU. Oh, I mean, that would be pretty inexplicable for the committee. What if you had a one-loss Oregon and a one-loss Utah meet in a Pac-12 championship? The winner of that, I feel like, deserves That's it. tough. That's brutal. Uh, I doubt it gets there. Have, but uh, Oklahoma as a one-loss Big 12 I don't think Oklahoma can. I think, um, I think well, I just, I just go back to if these teams are also one-loss. Like yeah, I'm, it, that's what I'm saying. If it's I'm one loss Oklahoma about, versus one loss LSU, who only lost the championship game, LSU gets in. Okay, you would hope. I just yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've always been someone. I think I've always gone a bit more on the deserving side than like let's just see who we think is the best because and, and LSU and, and would be LSU, deserving. They would be deserving. That is true. I just they they are by definition right now the most deserving team in college football. Yeah, I do lose. agree with that. I do agree with that. I just like um, I've always liked the playoff as a tournament of champions. But that is what it is. Because that's not what it is. I mean, it's not. That's literally not what it is. Well, that's you, I, proven. I'm adamantly against expanding. But if they did expand, I do very much think with what absolutely you're, all five conference champs would have. Yeah. To get in if you do expand. it, you have to lock in a very set like five champs, three maybe, at large, three at large, yeah. or even two at large and one uh, group of five. I be, I'd love that. Yeah. I would love that. But I just am very, very anti-expanding. Um. I. 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 I'm very strongly feel about this. Uh. Really. Okay, maybe we'll get. I mean, yes. Look, if you think it's tough to discern between the four team, good luck discerning between who gets seven and eight when you're subjectively picking between like a bunch of two loss teams that all have similar resumes yeah. and everything. It would just take away so much of the fun of regular season. Uh, that's true. Which is why college football is so great. It's why Saturday feels so massive. That's, like everything's. Well, on that's the, line. the basis of my f- opinion. Like that's great. La- like last year's LSU. I mean, last year's Bama Georgia SC championship game. That game would not matter in an eight team playoff. That's a good point. The loser would have gone in. It'd be over. Oh, so that was one, that was an amazing college football day. Wow, wow! Oh, that's I I will never leave this take. Brody Miller, and that'll do it for this week's hold that podcast podcast. Sorry for a bit of an awkward ending. Um, at, we we literally ran out of space to record anymore, but uh, we were done. So go Tigers, beat Alabama. If you enjoyed the podcast, spread the good word. HTPP. I hope you all have a very Blessed week, and hopefully on the other end of this, we'll be talking about a Tiger victory over the Tide. See you next week. Hold that podcast, podcast. Go Tigers! Go Tigers!